All right. Welcome to another episode of the Speech Change Repeat podcast. Today with Joshua Bonatel. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Going well, man. I'm excited uh, to be on here with you. Yes, absolutely. You know, as as always, um, you know, kind of kind of as the icebreaker question. Um, you know, we'd like to get to know who's it that we're talking to today, and I think. You know, we got a lot of interesting people on the podcast, but you're like, I, I mean, and I can definitely say that, right? Um, or ha- having spoken with, with, with all of the people that your profile kind of stands out today. So I'm very excited that we're, that we're talking today. And um, so, as already said, kind of for the first question of today, it would be great to know uh, or to get an understanding of who is it that we're talking to. So, you know, please feel free to sure. kind of give us the you know, the backstory of, of uh, where you're coming from, you know, uh, where you are today and how, how you ended up there, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll try to just kind of give the cliff notes here. And then um, if any of it is particularly interesting, I'm happy to, to dive deeper into any area. But um, really, for me, it started uh, as a kid, just having a love for the game of basketball. And, um, you know, I grew up, my prime childhood years were uh, the 90s Bulls, you know, and, and the Jordan dynasty and, and all of that. And so I was a diehard Bulls fan growing up. And, um, you know, when you asked me what I was going to do when, when I grew up, you couldn't tell me any different. I was going to play for the Bulls one day. And, um, you know, it turns out I wasn't that good at basketball. Um, But in my own head, it was what do I need to do to get there and, um, you know, how I could improve and all that. And, you know, so along the way, I developed really a love for just training physically, you know, lifting weights, conditioning, sprinting, Um, all of these things that could help me become a better athlete to in turn become a better basketball player. And probably around the time I was, you know, getting close to entering college, um, I I really, you know, thankfully I was wise enough to say, okay, um, if I don't play for the Bulls one day, uh, what's another way in? And um, around that time is when I realized, you know, and this is late 90s, early 2000s, which is around the time I realized that being a strength and conditioning coach or a sports performance coach was a real job. And so taking this passion um, that I developed for the process of training and all that, um, I could turn that into a career. And that was another way that I could make my dream come true um, and, you know, work for the Bulls or an NBA team. And so in in figuring that out at a relatively early age, I was already studying who are the people in positions that I would like to one day get to, you know, head NBA strength coaches, high level college basketball strength coaches, um, and what was their path? What had they done um, to get to where they, they are? Because success leaves clues. So what were the commonalities? What were the outliers? And what could I do at, at, you know, where the stage I was as, you know, an 18 year old to set the path for myself. And, um, you know, fast forward that led to immediately upon graduating college, I was, I started as an intern 
with the Bulls. So basically at 22, as soon as I graduated college, um, even though I was an unpaid intern, for me, that was my dream job. And, um, you know, it was really a full circle moment for me at, at that point, because um, I think it was, you know, my first or second week as an intern, I was living at home with my parents, I was commuting, uh, you know, an hour and a half each way to our facility. And I came home one day and I got a letter in the mail. And it was actually a letter that I had written to myself in third grade. I had a third grade teacher who gave us an assignment, like a time capsule, you know, type thing. Um, where will you be? What will you be doing in 15 years? And I've completely forgotten about this letter. So, you know, I was like to come home and see it. I still have no idea how my teacher managed to like send these out 15 years later. And so I opened the letter and it was literally, it was just one line. I will be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. And, you know, so for me, I'm 22. That was my full circle moment because I'm not playing point for the Bulls, but like I'd found another way in. Um, and, you know, I think even at that time, that kind of catapulted me um, to where I am now of just in that moment, realizing this goal I had set for myself, um, I'd probably set the bar too low. And so I was already thinking about, you know, something bigger. And, and so anyways, you know, I still um, tried to approach every day as an intern, like, you know, be where your feet are, be, be the best that I can where I am and maximize this opportunity. Um, and through spending a year as an intern, I was able to leverage that into a full-time role. And then I went on to be the assistant strength coach for the Bulls uh, for the next three seasons. Um, and at the end of that time, had an opportunity to move on and, and take over as the director of performance for Purdue University for the men's basketball team there. Um, and I ended up spending seven, seven seasons there, really building a program um, largely from the ground up because they didn't, they didn't, believe it or not, they really didn't have much of a foundation of a, of a program on the performance side of things prior to me getting there. Um, and so, you know, I think that was a really good opportunity to experiment and try some things and learn and grow. Um, but all along the way, I was, I was still had this itch of, you know, what is, what is it that I want to do? Because I know it's something bigger now than just being a head NBA strength coach or high major college basketball. And, um, it had led me down this path of thinking, you know, why couldn't I going back to like 15 years from now, the same thing I did in third grade. Um, I, I was, you know, I think I was maybe 34 and I, I did the same thing. I was like, okay, in 15 years, where could I be? Where do I want to be? Um, and I, and I thought, you know, why couldn't I be the general manager of an NBA team? As crazy as that sounds today, I'm a, you know, performance director. And so I took that same approach of, you know, who are the people in positions that, that I look up to and I aspire to get to. So Bob Myers from the Golden State Warriors, Theo Epstein, you know, the Cubs and the Red Sox before that, and what was their path. And for each of them, you know, they had their JD, they, they'd gone to law school. And so, you know, that I made up my mind, that's what I need to do. I need to, you know, go to law school, get my JD. And like what Theo had done in particular was, he was working an entry-level role in baseball with the San Diego Padres, 
while getting his JD at night. He was going, you know, going to uh, law school at night, spent, I think, four years, got his JD, um, while also getting experience in the front office. And so that was my plan. I was, you know, I took the LSAT. I was starting to get uh, letters back from different law schools um, and leveraging my relationships in basketball. I had it lined up whatever city I went to law school, I was going to be able to work in the front office in, in some capacity um, for that NBA team. And, and in my mind, that was, that was the plan. Here we go. Um, you know, making the strides to be a GM and then uh, sort of got a curveball. And out of nowhere, I'd, I got an email getting recruited uh, by this small, you know, un, unheard of tech startup called Future. Um, and it was, you know, my, my, our, our three co-founders at the time had, uh, seen my profile on LinkedIn and they were looking for someone to, to fill this role and, and really help, uh, build, uh, future, which is, and I'm sure we'll get into, but it's, we pair you one-to-one with a coach, you know, personal trainer, performance coach. Um, but at the time it was really just an idea and, um, you know, I decided, nothing to lose to, to follow up on the email, hear what they had to say and um, went through, you know, a couple month process, getting to know my co-founders, understanding what the vision was for uh, the problem that we're solving and, and what we were building and what my role would be within that. And very quickly realized that everything I thought I was going to get by going to law school this opportunity had the potential to be that sort of on steroids, you know, in terms of in one year, I could grow five years professionally. And, you know, I think it was, it was a much bigger risk in in a lot of ways because people were also telling me in, in one year, this will fail. Um, But it was, you know, it was a combination of even if it does fail in that one year, I'm going to be exponentially better in terms of everything that I'm going to get exposed to, the things I'm going to be able to learn and the relationships I can build, um, then say going to law school. And then the other side of it, you know, what if it doesn't fail? And that was something that really spoke to me of, you know, this is something we could literally change the world one day and, and build preventative healthcare. And so, um, you know, now I've been, I, I made the jump four years ago. Um, so, you know, for the past four years, I've been building out future. Um, my current role is VP of performance. I started out as VP of ops. And then, you know, over time, my role just continues to evolve and, and transition um, as we grow. And that is quite a story. And um, so I will definitely, I have a couple of points in, in the back of my head that I need to, you know, um, sure. recap uh, later. But and, uh, you know, for the people that don't know, um, Josh, you're as well quite a, quite a, let's say, qualitative writer, I must say. So, um, I mean, I told you already, right? I enjoy your, your, your tweets a lot. You're super active on Twitter. But before, we, uh, before I basically take something out, because I, I, I in particular, took a post out that I, that I kind of, you know, used as a guiding guiding principle for 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 this mm-hmm. uh, conversation that we're having today i think it is it is really remarkable that you know at that young age where 
most people take rational decisions of, you know, taking the safe or secure path in the sense of like, you know, higher education, you know, going for a degree that, um, you know, is always providing opportunities, you know, AKA kind of, I don't, you know, engineering, med school, law, business, I don't know, these type of things, you know, that you are taking this decision where you are, you know, saying, you know, I wanted to become a, a professional athlete, you know, for, for everyone that, you know, had that dream as a kid, you know, I, I for example, had that as well, you know, I wanted to be become a, yeah. b- become a, a soccer player, you know, like, like almost every kid in, 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 in Europe, oh, yeah. or, you know, around the world. And, 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 and that moment when you realize, okay, that's not going to going to happen. That that is a big hit, you know, like, you, you like, literally understand, okay, that is not going to be happening, you know, even though for yeah. years, you know, you have not done anything else than like, you know, doing the sport or like trying to push that forward. Nice. Like, I, I don't think people realize how much of a mental kind of like thing this is. And then you you start to make decisions or like people as well try to like pinpoint you, right? Society, like uh, school, etc. all these things, your parents. Yeah. And so I want to go back to that where you like literally say like, okay, so I'm actually, you know, I'm going to go study. Yes, I'm going to attend university, but I'm going to do what I, you know, what I enjoy in the process of trying to become an athlete, you were doing a lot of sports, you, you enjoyed the process, etc. Right. But then literally going saying like, okay, I'm going to make a career of this, you know, a different way. And then because super mm-hmm. early, super early, you're setting like, from like, you know, going to university, you're already setting kind of like the path of where you're going, you know, and these individual stages, I mean, they're happening, but you have super clarity from like, day one, kind of like of, not knowing uh, of, of day one of knowing that you're not going to become an athlete. And I find this remarkable. This is, this is crazy. Like, tell me, tell me about, tell me about that, 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 you know, that decision kind of, you know, of, of, of saying like, okay, so I'm actually going to start study, study, you know, within the field of sports and exercise and, and I'm going to go down this mm-hmm. pathway. Wasn't there like obstacles in the sense of like, you know, maybe your parents or like, you know, maybe just in general in the back of your head of like, you know, maybe, Maybe this is, isn't such a good idea. So for me, I, I think I've been really fortunate um, in the way in which my, my parents have always supported and encouraged me. Um, and I'm an only child. Um, and so, you know, I always say I'm, I'm spoiled and selfish. Uh, but, you know, with, within that, uh, I, th- I think my parents they always truly, you know, from, from the time I was born, they, they did everything to um, try to allow me and encourage me to just chase my dreams. And, you know, I think it, it starts with my mom, Um, my mom, you know, and, and she still tells me this, like from, from the moment she first held me, she just like, she looked at me and she said, like, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to become, I'm going to do everything so that, you know, you can do that. And we're not a wealthy family, you know, like my parents are middle-class, they work hard, um, you know, and so didn't necessarily have uh, those advantages from a financial perspective, but I I consider myself blessed because everything that we did have, um, you know, my parents, uh, you know, did whatever they could uh, to support me. And then, you know, so I think I got the, um, you know, I, I was never discouraged from, from dreaming, you know, and my mom always believed 
you know, even being a pro pro basketball player, like my mom believed I, you know, I could go and do that. And so I, I, I probably didn't hear no as much as, as a lot of kids might, or like get serious or get real. Um, my parents supported me in that. And then my dad is the most stubborn person you will ever meet. I just unbelievably stubborn. And so I, I grew up around that. Like he would be, he'd be literally injured and he'd still go for a 50 mile bike ride, you know, and that was just his life. He would work out every day and he did hard physical labor drywall and, and that sort of thing. And so for me, I think it was those two things together of, um, you know, even as I got older, still dreaming, you know, and, and not losing that, you know, that, that spirit you have as a young kid where you are, anything's possible and why not? Um, and then the stubbornness of, you know, in, in my case, um, even at the point, so I, I should have had a realization that I was not going to play for the Bulls. I never truly had that re realization because I still had the stubbornness of, well, maybe once I'm in college, I'll keep working and I'll walk on to the basketball team. Even when I was an intern for the Bulls, there was a part of me that was like, well, maybe like when I'm playing noon ball with the other staff, our head coach will see me, you know, and ask me to start practicing uh, with, with, with the Bulls. I didn't really believe it, but there was 1% of me that was like, I, I still have a chance. I'm in here. Um, and so I, you know, I had that stubbornness combined with um, never, never losing the ability to, to dream. And so part of that stubbornness was I'm not just going to accept the fact that I'm not going to play for the bulls. I'm going to do the next closest thing, which is I'm, you know, I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to be in that team photo, you know, and I was I spent four seasons was in the team photo, three of them, you know, one, one, I was an intern when you're an intern, you don't get in the team photo. So. Yeah, absolutely. And and so what I want to, um, I, I told you, right? So this this kind of tweet that I took out is um, from you is, is is what you called under, you know, this phrase of luck is the residue of, of design, you know? And so you, 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 so I basically took out this, this, um, the summary of, of, you know, of these diff 10 different points, basically, right? And so one of the, and, and so one of the keywords that also struck my mind is when, when you just told your story is, is that it seems so clear like from the path that um it it can only be possible for like super clear focus and and you know you actually so, so that second point is to start with the why so i assume you had your why okay but but then this like super clear focus you know um of knowing where you want to go and tell me about but but then again you know so if if luck is the residue of design right so as you said as well showing up you know giving the best you you can etc i mean there's there's you, you make your own luck right but still i mean there's moments of doubts right there's there's kind of like also maybe like you know lacking focus tell tell me about that like did you did you face that throughout the years yeah you know I think you always, you always face that, that, that doubt is, uh, is a very common and normal thing in, in my opinion. And um, especially, you know, anyone that's pursuing something great or pursuing excellence, um, the more you climb, the more you, the more you learn, the more you build new skills, um, it, it's uncomfortable. And you're going to go through those moments of, um, 
you know, varying degrees of, I think, imposter syndrome. And uh, I think one of the things that helps in those moments is, is just even having an awareness that it's happening and also realizing that it, it, it's a pretty normal thing. It's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty common. Um, but taking a, taking a step back, um, I think it's just starting small. And, um, so I, I've always kind of had a vision that's guided me and, you know, being willing to kind of edit the vision along the way, because things change, your interests change, um, new opportunities emerge that, uh, you might not have foreseen. And so you got to be able to adapt to those things. Um, but then within that, I think it's, it's just starting small. And so for me, I did not start out by reaching out to the head strength coach for the Chicago Bulls, you know, and, and, and frankly, that's where probably people get deflated is, well, I want to be the strength coach for the Bulls. So I'm going to reach straight out to that person. And, and I'm not saying don't do that, but don't expect that that's the way in. Um, and so what I did was I just started with who are people that know more than me that I can just learn from and they'll give me their time. Um, and, you know, especially at that time, starting out, it's everyone. It's literally at my local YMCA in my, in my hometown. It's even just guys and gals that are in there lifting weights and asking them questions and learning from them and showing an interest and, and being curious. And, you know, really where it started for me was, let's see if I can even get a job at the YMCA just, and at that time I wasn't even, I had no certifications or anything like that. Um, but I could put weights away and wipe down benches and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I think when you, when you start small and, and you start there and, um, you know, you, you just, maximize each opportunity and and you build relationships and and you treat people right but you also signal to those people this is what i'm striving for this is what i want um i think those people are become very willing to be your advocate um and you know each opportunity is going to open up you know two or three more doors each relationship is going to introduce you to two or three more people and so that's how I attacked it along the way is just make the most of kind of be where my feet are, do the best that I can right here and, um, and add value to this place, to these people. Um, and then ultimately they probably know people or they can provide me the direction to take that next step. Right. Um, so you, you, you most probably have reflected yourself, uh, you know, especially after leaving a certain position, you know, reflected your time in, in, or maybe your year as well. I don't know how you, how you do your reflection, but I'm, I'm most probably sure that you're, that you're reflecting yourself. <laughs> um, so tell me about maybe, you know, these, these, these two very important stages in your life um, before, you know, going into this, you know, a completely different new world for you, which is the startup world, you know, tell me about, uh, you know, your time at the Chicago Bulls and at Purdue uh, and kind of, you know, ref uh, give me, you know, kind of your major reflections, you know, of these two stages of like, you know, maybe like biggest learnings that you took away from that time. I think starting out, even just 
realizing that dream as a, as a 22 year old with the bulls, um, probably encouraged me to, to dream even more and dream, dream even bigger. Um, and, and realize like, you know, anything truly is possible. And, um, you know, within that, it was the, the mindset of, um, if, if your dreams don't scare you, they're, they're not big enough. Um, and so, you know, being able to accomplish that in that moment, really hammered that point home. I think then starting in the NBA and working with, you know, the, my mentor, Eric Helland and, and also Al Vermeil, they were there for all of the dynasty, all six championships. And, and many of the people in the organization that I worked with were part of that, the, the dynasty years as well. And so learned a lot from them. But the biggest thing I learned was all of this is about relationships. So I could have all the knowledge in the world in terms of, you know, the X's and O's of training and the specifics of it and the, the science, the physiology. Um, but if I don't have the ability to truly connect and meaningfully connect and adapt to whoever it is that's in front of me, especially when we talk about players that you're, you're coaching, um, none of it matters. And so I learned, you know, how critical the relationships are as the foundation to everything. And I think that expands beyond coaching. That's, that's business. That's, you know, being an entrepreneur, that's frankly, any career that you want. Um, relationships are, are going to take you far and, and being great at that. Um, and learning to live in the gray. I think I was still, I was young and, and I thought I was way smarter than I was. And, and so I would always try to deal in absolutes or think that, you know, there's a, there's a black and white answer to, to every scenario that comes up. And I remember my mentors, both Eric and Al, every single question I asked them, and it used to drive me crazy. Their response every single time was, it depends. I got to the point I started asking them questions and I would, and I would qualify. I would say, Hey, I'm going to ask you this question. You cannot say it depends. And then I'd ask my question and sure enough, well, it depends. And um, so I learned to be comfortable in that gray because truly it does. It, it, you know, every decision you're making depends on so many different factors. And I think all of that really helped set a strong foundation for me coming in as still a young coach, I was 27 when I took over the program at Purdue. And so, and, and I've always looked pretty young. So half my players looked older than me. Um, in fact, my, when I was just starting out, our star player at the time, Robbie Hummel, who went on to play in the NBA and um, was, you know, kind of the, the golden boy at Purdue at the time, he thought I was our student manager the first time that we met. So, <laughs> you know, um, but what was different is at the college level, um, guys are required to, you know, the athletes are required to do the things that you tell them to do. So we have a lift at, you know, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. They have to be there whether they want to or not. Um, and so at least at that time, it was kind of common for coaches to have more of an approach where you're acting as a dictator. And if it ever comes down to it, sort of, you're going to do what I say because I said so. Um, and because I spent four years with the Bulls and, and learning that 
that's not the best way. Um, I was very different at Purdue and everything was still based on relationships and, um, you know, really empowering our guys to be partners in the decision. And, and quite honestly, there were, there were moments where I probably could have done that and said, Hey, you need to do this right now because I said so. Um, but that wasn't my approach. And I found that by, you know, sort of, uh, conceding on some of those like short-term in the moment battles, it, it, it kind of helps you win the war because guys trust you, they respect you, they, you know, um, and so I think that was, that was a big thing of, you know, coming in as a young 27 year old and, and building a program, but starting with foundations first and focusing on developing people, developing the full human and not just, you know, sets and reps and, and lifting weights. And so that taught me a lot about building teams and finding everyone's superpowers, finding everyone's, you know, vulnerabilities and, and how can I support that? How can I get them uh, to double down on the things that they're really excellent at to build the best team? And as part of that, how can I sort of nurture them to replace me in, in, in a lot of ways and start to follow their lead? Um, and so I think then that was a natural progression to what ultimately my role became and is at future, which was to build our team, which is now several hundred coaches, you know, all full-time with us salaried, all that and very, very high level. Um, but taking that same approach of being able to identify talent, attract the talent, you know, to want to work with you and to want to work together and then maximizing that talent. Yeah. So and for me, it, it, it really kind of, um, you know, I, I, I took it from when you were, t you know, talking about that, that opportunity when it popped up, pop you know, with, with, with future, that that came kind of out of the blue and that you did not really kind of, you know, ever think about this scenario. <laughs> and, you know, because, you know, for me, it sounded like you, you had your mindset, you know, in, in, in the and kind of like the next step for you kind of in your career, yeah. right? T tell me about whether that was that was the case. So whether you really like said like, okay, so, you know, I, I've done this, you know, at some really great successes with Purdue. I, I've proven myself, you know, next step, JD, and then I'll, I'll get there, you know, I will, I will be, I'll be GM at, at you know, big yeah. teams somewhere in this, you know, in whatever state, I don't know. Was that like really, really kind of the overall goal because what what i i also thought is like wasn't there also additional other opportunities that popped out during like during that time you know throughout seven years other other paths yeah. be you know besides the gm thing kind of like you know corporate ladder yeah so you know along along the way during that seven year period every single year um and the way it works in most pro sports and college in general is every season ends, there's a lot of moving pieces and, and shuffling. And, and so you move from one college team to another, one NBA team to another. And so um, I think I was fortunate through my relationships and, and um, the work that I was doing that I always had opportunities every year, whether it was um, roles with NBA teams or other college teams. 
Um, and for a long time there, you know, I, I was, I was, I was just so eager to move on from Purdue. And, um, you know, I think I, I was kind of getting ahead of myself, but I, I had a mentor, actually Eric from the Bulls, um, along the way. And, and I was frustrated with some different things that were going on at, at the time. I, I didn't feel like I was, um, had the influence that I wanted to have. I didn't think, I didn't feel as though I was valued to the, to the level that I, I believed that I should have been uh, for the work that I was putting in and the impact that I was having. And so I was ready to take a, you know, another job. And many of them were double, triple my salary. And I remember he just said to me, he was like, you know, you can, you can take one of these other jobs, whether it's MBA or college, um, but then realize you're starting over because you don't yet have professional capital. You haven't truly built something. You know, in my case, it was four years with the Bulls, but I was, you know, an intern for one and an assistant for three. So it was his program. It wasn't mine. I supported it. Um, and now I was in, you know, year two, year three, year four at Purdue. And, and he kind of said to me, he was like, really? you got to spend at least a good five years building something. And, and that's how you're going to have professional capital. Yes, you could move on, take another job, double your salary, make more money, but you better be prepared and be happy to now start over and be there for at least the next five years. Um, because otherwise that's all you're going to do. You're just going to like be on this perpetual uh, sort of hamster wheel of just, jumping from one team to the other. And it's, it's never really going to be something new, you know, or different, I should say, it's just going to be a a new version of of the same thing. So I I think that was really powerful for me. And then, yeah, I, I, the point at which I, I decided, you know, I will be a GM, I was all in and, and that's the path I was going, but you know, I think what's really interesting is just the power of um, speaking things into existence and also the power of journaling, because there were some things where like, I didn't even realize until after I was at Future and I was going back on old journal entries. And, you know, for one, I always thought it was toward the start of my very last year at Purdue that I made up my mind that, that why couldn't I be a GM? turns out I'd been writing about it probably three years prior to that. I just forgot. Like it was just journal entries of like, what's next. And there were like, I read multiple entries where I'm like, why couldn't I be the GM? What do I need to do? You know? And so you're like, you kind of forget that. But then what's interesting as well is I have entries in there. And I remember even saying to people at at times of like, well, maybe I'll just go work for Google or something like that. Cause that was my vision of like the tech world. And I was, and I was fascinated by the tech world. Cause it's, especially a company like Google, you read about their culture. Um, you read about like the interview questions that, that they ask you where it's like, you know, how many piano tuners are there in the city of Chicago? And they, and they like, have you go through that thought experiment? Like that stuff was fascinating to me. And I was like, I was like, I could go answer that interview question and like take some product manager role or something at, at Google. Cause I thought that was like the, the epitome of the tech world. I didn't really know much about, about startups. So it's, it's just, it's interesting to me how that sort of plays out with time. 
is, you know, with that power, I think it's in, in, in your brain, it's, I believe it's the reticular activating system. And so the reticular activating system, it's like things that are familiar to us, our brain is wired and back in the day, it was a survival instinct. Our brain is wired to pick up on that thing. If there's familiarity to it, it's the reason why, um, like if you're at a crowded bar and it's super loud and you can barely hear the person that you're talking to, someone from across the room could say, Jonathan, and you'll turn like, you'll look, you'll hear that. You'll pick that signal up amidst all of the noise. And so I believe, and, and there is some science behind it, but I believe something very similar happens when you talk about the power of speaking it into existence. So when I speak into existence, um, one day I'll work for Google or one day I'll be a GM. Your brain is more wired to pick up on those things than it otherwise would be. Like maybe you're scrolling Twitter. Maybe you see, maybe you're going to the bookstore and you're looking at different books. Your brain is going to pick up on the, the book cover that seems as though it might help you learn, you know, how to succeed in the tech world. And, um, and so I think it just, it, it allows you to pull the signal from the noise for the opportunities that might lead you to that, that place that you want to get to. Yeah, absolutely. Although, so if, if now let's, let's really jump into this kind of moment of you getting this email, you know, I, I can't even imagine the moment for you to be like, you know, opening up this email and you're like, you know, what, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what startup, you know, yeah, what startup yeah. out of California? Well, like, you know, we're, you were about to go like the absolute opposite of like a startup, which is like going, you know, going back to uni, kind of doing a JD, yeah. you know, tell me about like, how did you even evaluate this opportunity this message like because the tech world was was not familiar to you right um not at all um so how did you even evaluate this this opportunity in terms of like okay so what is this idea actually about what is the team what what, what does this overall you know ecosystem of of you know the startup world even mean and what is going to be my place in it yeah well first of all i thought it was spam And, uh, and, and quite honestly, it was probably a stroke of luck that I even opened the email, um, because it was sent to the email that's tied to my, my LinkedIn account, which is still my hotmail email from when I was in middle school or high school, you know, and, and I never use that email. I, I literally, anytime you have to put an email address down to sign up for something, I put my hotmail email down. So I never check it because It's where I try to filter any and all junk. And so, you know, I just happened to, to see it because I'd normally be once a month, I'd check it. And I remember opening it and uh, just reading it. And it was kind of, it was kind of bad grammar. And, you know, it, it just, it, it kind of had the feel of one of those emails where it's like, you have a long lost relative in some like faraway country. Give us your bank account details. And those like, are some legend emails, you $50 million, <laughs> you know, like, what is this? Because in the body of the email was like, we're building this real, like we're, we're a badass team. It's three people are, are, um, founding COO who, who sent the email was the first ever employee at DoorDash. 
Now this is 2018. I live in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. I had no idea what DoorDash was. Like I was, I, I looked it up. I was like, I don't know if this is a real company. Um, fast forward, turns out it is. Um, our CTO was part of the original iPhone team. There were 20 people that built the first ever iPhone, including Steve Jobs. Our CTO was one of those 20 people. Um, and he himself invented FaceTime and iMessage. So I read that line and I was like, okay, yeah, right, sure. You know, like that's not real. Um, and then our, our CEO, Rishi, is literally an astrophysicist by trade. He, he worked for NASA um, his first like three, four years out of college. And then he started a, a company of his own before that, that got acquired by Postmates and, you know, did all this crazy stuff worked at Google actually. And so I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, one guy works for, you know, was with some company I've never heard of. One guy built the iPhone. I don't believe that. And another guy's a rocket scientist. Sure. You know? <laughs> and so I just, I let that email sit. And, but the last part of the email was like, we're doing this thing that's going to change the world. And we think you should come build it with us. And I'm like, I don't even know who these people are. I try to look them up and it's, it's hard to find anything on them. I'm like, you know, I don't know about this, but I, um, again, in just building relationships during the time I was in Chicago, I built relationships outside of the bulls and several of my closest friends to this day are, and have been very successful in the tech and startup world. And, um, so I reached out to a few of them and I literally sent them the email and some of my most cynical friends too. And so I, I was like, hey, this is probably stupid, but what do you think? Like, is there any chance this is legit? And I expected all of them to be like, Josh, you're an idiot. Why are you even sending this to me? Like, no, this is not real. Um, and it was actually the opposite reaction. Every single one of them, they were like, this sounds like it could be amazing. You absolutely have to uh, follow up and, and talk to them. And, and so I did. And, you know, I still remember even on that first call, I still didn't believe, uh, Andrew, who's our founding COO. I still didn't believe he was like a legit person yet, but like <laughs> the call went well, you know, and like, he seemed really smart and he was very interested in my story. And it sounded like pretty fascinating what they were building and how they were thinking about it. And I called one of my closest friends, Nicodemus, who was my assistant my very first year at Purdue. Um, and he's since gone on to do big time things. And I remember calling him afterwards and just telling him about how that call went. And he said, he was like, he was like, Josh, like, this is it. Like, this is the thing. He was like, you, you being a GM, like, that's all cool. And you know, everything like that. And you could go do that. He was like, but this, you could change the world, you know? And so it was like having those people um, in my corner who are also truth tellers. Like, I know they're not just gonna, you know, like gas it up if, if they don't believe in it. The fact that they were so excited about it caused me to really stop and think like, man, there really might be something to this and, and I need to take this very seriously. And so, 
you know, I, I, I kept making the steps towards going to law school because I still figured that's where I'm going, but it's kind of fun having these conversations. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I kind of did both things in parallel and, uh, and then lastly, I think I just like, I used my resources. I, I, I sought counsel from, um, you know, people I've surrounded myself by who were best equipped to help me evaluate this decision. And especially with a startup, like what even is this? Cause I didn't, I didn't even know the mechanics of how a startup work, like whether you get paid a salary or you just get a bunch of equity, you know? And I was like, well, I don't have a bunch of money saved up to where I can be without a salary for however long until we cash in. And so, you know, I think they, having that counsel, um, they were able to help me navigate that decision. First, first thought that came, came to my mind was like, okay, if I would be reading this, 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 you know, this mail, and this comes like literally out of the blue, you know, from, from kind of a far galaxy out there that is really not my home, (laughs) you know, I would be asking myself, especially when, you know, when there's like these phrases of like, you know, we're going to change the world. I would like the first thing I would ask myself is like, why me? So um, why did you, you know, why did you text me? Like, why did you choose to text me? Why, why am I, why am I the one that you, that you, that you want to, to have on the team? Like, wasn't that like the question that you asked them straight away? Yeah, you know, that that was definitely on that first call, just kind of understanding how they had how they had found me in in the first place. And, um, you know, I think there's there's probably also an air of um, maybe irrational confidence that 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 you have in, um, you know, for me to to build the career that I I was able to build in that world in basketball and sports performance. to have that level of success, I think you have to develop an an irrational confidence to where, you know, I believe that I was, I'd put myself up there as being the best in the world at training basketball players. Um, So in in my mind, you know, I knew I was pretty damn good at at that. And, um, you know, and then as they broke down the, the, the problem that they'd identified, which is, um, you know, ultimately 80% of our population is, is not active enough, if at all. Um, and 75%, three out of four people are obese or overweight. And what that leads to is 80% of us will one day die of some type of chronic condition. So you think obesity, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, um, things like that, that, you know, I think intuitively most of us realize it's largely preventable. Um, but the way, you know, and why it's a problem is because the way we attack it is reactive. We wait until those things become a problem and then we address it and nothing's being done on the front end so that it's never a problem in the first place. And so the solution intuitively made sense to me of, you know, if we can manage, help you manage um, how you move, how you eat how you sleep and how you manage your stress, um, that we can drastically uh, reduce this problem. And then the second part of it was in identifying how do we solve this problem? They had looked at professional athletes 
because they looked at professional athletes and they realized that with professional athletes, any one of them that, that gives a shit at all about managing their day-to-day health is overwhelmingly successful, you know, and, and their solution is the same. And it's the same as billionaires is they have, they surround themselves with a, a constellation of experts and they essentially outsource every aspect of it. Um, and so being a director of performance at, at the time at Purdue, that's what I was doing is a very holistic approach to really human performance. Like we talk athlete development, but ultimately to develop an athlete, you have to think about their entire human performance. And so I'd spent my entire career um, helping some of the best athletes in the world uh, manage those four things. And so, you know, I think once I understood um, the problem that they identified, the, the solution to it that they believed, then that's where it sort of clicked to me of like, okay, this makes sense where, where I come in and how they described it to me was ultimately my role was to be the fourth pillar of our company because we had our, our CEO, who's, who's the visionary, who's the kind of product mind, design mind, the one going out storytelling and, and raising capital for us to do this with our, our CTO. And he's the one that's going to build it, you know, the, the, the engineering and the software behind it. And then we had our, our COO who has scaled an organization from eight people to the time he left DoorDash was, I think like 30 or 40,000 employees. And so now we need that fourth pillar, someone who truly understands our core product, which is coaching. Right. Let's talk about exactly that part. So the solution to the solution to that problem, right? So you 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 stated it. I mean, uh, clearly, right? The the problem that we have within you know within society is that that you know people are not active. People are you know having a kind of like bad lifestyle decisions, which ultimately leads you know to um, you know not just people being sick and and you know you know forming some sort of disease throughout their lifetime. Yeah. Um, but that it's, you know, it ultimately puts a burden on the entire society because it puts a burden on the healthcare system and, and you know, everything. Yeah. So I think there is, um, so, and, and, and I want to talk about that solution. So how do we approach that? Because so what comes to my mind, and I think a lot about that as well. So is, is, is this, this notion of the, you know, how, how can we change behavior on scale, right? Because so yeah. you come from the, from the world of professional, you know, professional athletes, where it's like people work towards making this their job, you know, their main focus, mm-hmm. that that's what they make their money with, you know, it's like being really professional, being very, being very adherent with their, with their behavior decisions, you know, and on how they, how they approach that being fit, you know, nutrition, etc., all these things. But and, and you know that as well, right? So, and, and we'll get to this, um, you know, this daily uh, deficit that you have, you know, this hashtag <laughs> daily deficit, you know, yeah, being yeah. being fit, you know, and, and on the long term, like even as, you know, as, as someone, and you probably know this as well, right? Being 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 fit and making conscious decision about your health on, on, on scale, right? On the long term, the long game, right? Every day, you know, yeah. not just a face is super hard. Like everyone can agree, agree to this. And now let's talk about the masses, you know, for people that are just, you know, 
busy with, you know, their nine to five, making a living, you know, raising kids, et cetera, all these things, right? It is a complex problem. So let's yeah, talk about that is. solution. You know, let's, let's talk about, you know, solving this big problem. Yeah, well, and again, I think that's where you look at, you know, pro athletes and, and billionaires. And again, the reason you look at them is because they've managed to be successful with it. And, you know, I think something that people might not realize intuitively is, you know, you just assume, oh, this, this pro athlete, like, that's what they do. That's their livelihood. Um, that's how they sort of put food on the table, so to speak. Um, so they must be self-motivated. And what you find is, you know, by and large, especially when you look at it on the whole, you're probably going to see a similar representation of the rest of our population. You know, it's, it's, they, if they could manage all of these things on, on their own, then there'd be no need for um, us as coaches. Maybe they're, maybe they're sport coach to like direct plays and stuff like that. But, you know, they have someone like me uh, as their performance coach, who's managing kind of their workouts and, and also like in a lot of ways sitting at the center of it all. So even though I'm not in charge of, you know, what should they eat and things like that, I'm helping to figure out how does that play a role in their overall performance? I'm helping, you know, to, to, to think about how do they manage their stress and, and their recovery and their sleep. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of these athletes, they don't necessarily prioritize their sleep or it, you know, it, it, it takes a lot to help them build that habit or, or they eat like shit, you know? And, and so you gotta, you gotta educate them there. Um, but you also, as you mentioned, a lot of it is, is behavior change. And so anyways, you know, we've seen this solution work for them. And, and, you know, as a, as a professional athlete, one of the reasons why they're able to have so much success on the court is because they have a team around them to think about everything that they have to worry about off the court, you know? So there's people even thinking about if they got to move, they have other people thinking about, you know, finding houses for them to look at, relocating their family, you know, all, all, all those sorts of things. Um, but you're alleviating, alleviating all of that. And what you find is the rest of us don't have that. And so when you look at this problem and you look at it deeper of, of like, why does this problem exist? Uh, of course you turn and you go, well, well, are there, um, legitimate solutions already out there? And it, and it turns out there are, but none of them have worked historically. None of them have worked. There's, and, and there's great products. There's, you know, connected fitness companies like Peloton and Tonal and, you know, Mir and, and these sorts of things. Um, there's, you know, gyms that I can go to, whether it's Orange Theory, Barry's Bootcamp, Equinox, all these sorts of things. Um, there's wearable technology where I can understand specific to me, you know, wh what am I doing? What stresses am I under? Uh, all those sorts of things. And there's actually an abundance of available resources and content and, and brands and products. Um, but yet this problem of inactivity and, and obesity and, and, you know, all of that is actually increasing. And so when you look at it, it's like, people are not lazy, you know, in, inherently, it's not like people are just sitting around and, and they're not trying. In fact, most people are trying something every single year. It's just nothing ever sticks. And so that's what we looked at was, 
you know, that, that, that human connection is, is really the missing piece because, you know, and that, again, that's what you see with pro athletes is when they go through these changes in their life or, or they go through moments where they are very stressed or maybe even depressed and, and down and, you know, or, or other moments where they're on top of the world and like, you can't tell them anything. They don't need to work out anymore because they, you know, they scored 50 points last night. So to hell with the workouts, um, you know, they have that person. And in fact, a team of people that can ground them in those moments and, and, and get them to kind of stay the course and can lift them up in, in those other moments. And, you know, that, that was our bet because also if you look at it historically um, that's the one thing that it, it's always worked anything else historically in, in, you know, in terms of the fitness industry has always been a fad. It just has that. And that doesn't take away from these things being great products, but none of them have solved this, this larger problem. And, and so um, that, that, that was our belief because then also with that, we can truly maximize um, and, and take advantage of the abundance of great products that do exist. So a coach can, can, you know, direct you towards something like Peloton because it's something you enjoy and all that. But then a coach is actually going to, um, you know, hold you, hold you accountable to do those workouts. They're going to celebrate you um, after those workouts and things like that. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing is like when we're left to manage it all on our own, um, it just becomes too much because we're already managing a job or school relationships, kids, our finances, all of this. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, now I have to, I have to manage how I move, how I eat, how I sleep, how I, you know, and, and my stress. And, um, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of decisions. Um, so being able to, uh, remove sort of that cognitive load and, and do the thinking for you, um, I, I think is a big piece to keeping people on track. Absolutely. And you put, you exactly, you know, used the right word uh, that I was looking for. Um, there's this, uh, there's this, this tweet, or actually, I, I think it was part of the newsletter. You know, you, you probably know the newsletter uh, Fit Insider, right? Um, oh yeah. Great, great newsletter. And, and there's like these two concepts that they, that they, that they talked about. One is accountability as a service and the other one is optimization as a yeah. service. And so accountability, so exactly that point, the accountability, uh, which you mentioned, right. is such a crucial point is like, how can you hold people accountable to, you know, making these things happen? And so you guys, um, you, you quickly mentioned that you guys have a lot of coaches already um, that are part of the team you know, guide me through this, this idea of how, how you at future are trying to solve that, especially because first things, you know, first thing that comes to my mind is how do you scale coaching? Yeah, right? How do you scale a Josh who is just, you know, exceptionally well at what he does, right? Because as you said, right, there's, I mean, you have been, um, you know, director for, for, you know, for sports performance at, at professional yeah. teams, right? There's not a lot of people that are that, are that good, right? That, that's why you were in that position. Yeah. So how do you scale that? How do you approach that at future? Yeah, so, you know, ultimately what you're doing with, with coaching is you are 
meeting people where they're at. And that's also a moving target, you know, like where you are uh, right now could be different than where you are 90 minutes from now, because you get in a fight with your significant other, and now you're stressed and you're, you you know, you're upset and um, things like that. But, you know, that's first and foremost is the ability to meet people where they are, meet people on their level and, you know, kind of understanding what they need in that moment and what a, what a coach does. Um, and the, this is also why, you know, we're big. It, it, it may seem like semantics of, you know, saying like, Oh, it's a personal trainer. Um, but we make a point of, of saying, no, 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 we're, this is a coach. And why we use that is because a coach by definition is someone who transports you from where you are, to where you want to go, um, and even a step further to where you never knew you, you could go. Um, and so, as you mentioned of, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you scale that? Because for it to truly work, it has to, the, the power of coaching is that it's individual, that is personalized to you. Um, and that doesn't always mean like, in the weeds, it's the most specific program ever, but it's your coach builds a relationship with you. They genuinely care about you. They get to know what's going on in your life, what's important to you, what makes you tick, you know, all of those things. And there's a huge component of, as we talked early, I mentioned with, with the bulls, the biggest thing I learned was EQ and and relationships and that like, that's truly the 51%. And so you know, for, for us, how do you scale that? Um, it, it starts with the people. And so the first thing that I did when I joined future is I thought about, okay, this problem we're trying to solve, how will we solve it? And how will we win? How do we one day, because we have a very ambitious, um, vision of helping hundreds of millions of people one day. And so how do we do that? And so, where I went immediately is it's going to be the people. It's going to be the team that we build. Um, And so now who are those people? And so I started with values because from being a part of, you know, really high level teams, I understood that your values drive your culture, you know, and and really your values are, are, are everything. And so came up with a a set of five values, um, which is, you know, client first or really others first, um, being relentless, being a giver, um, you know, having kind of positive energy and sort of like positive vibes and check your vibe, really emotional intelligence, situational awareness, um, and this concept of yes and, which is really being open-minded. And so we started there because in, in being able to scale, you have to go out, you have to be able to identify the right talent. So those values kind of give us a North star for what we're looking for, what is going to enable uh, success in this role um, to be able to meet each individual where they are and to adapt to each individual. Um, so that allowed us to start to identify that talent. And then now it's, you know, being able to attract that talent. And I think think when you go out there and you speak that language, especially as you're, you know, maybe I'm recruiting someone and I'm having a conversation with them and I'm, and I'm hitting on those things that are also central to those values. And I'm, and I'm storytelling and I'm sharing the vision for what this can be and how they fit into it. 
Um, now you're getting them excited to, to come on board. Um, and then, you know, I think once those people come on board, uh, you, it's, it's similar to building a, a, a sports team. You find what is each individual uh, person's kind of superpowers or what could they be? Um, and how can we put them in positions to really lean into those superpowers to contribute and, and, and grow our, grow our team. Um, and then you, you start to develop these people to really, for me, like at the time I come into future, I'm wearing every hat there is. I have every job there is because, you know, we have eight people total at the time and hardly any of any coaches. Um, and so developing people to be able to fire me and, and take on things. And then, you know, within that, you start to build out playbooks and, and you start to build out uh, a, a performance management structure. And like, so as our, as our team grows and expands, how are we developing future leaders and then promoting them to be leaders and, and, and incentivizing the right behaviors and setting kind of the right North star uh, uh, for, for everyone and, and making sure we're, rewarding the right behaviors and you know i think what starts to happen is now you you're you're creating the resources you're developing people around to start to exercise good judgment to start to be able to we talk about um we provide ultimately riverbanks for our coaches so we don't just like throw our coaches you know hire a coach and say well i hope this works out you know i i hope it's a good experience um, but we also don't do the other side of it and hire them and just literally hold their hand. Like, no, no, no. When a client says this, you say that, um, it's gotta be somewhere in between. And early on you do hold their hand quite a bit, but just like coaching, just like, you know, parenting, things like that, you, you're hopefully holding their hand less and less and less and empowering them, you know, more and more and more. And now they have these resources, to be able to start to understand, you know, when different situations come up with a client, just from a first principle standpoint, like, what do I want to make that? What is this client probably feeling in this moment? And what do I want to make them feel? And then from there, it allows coaches to start to exercise some of their own creativity and try things, or if they're stuck to use their resources, to look at, you know, our playbooks, to, to talk to other coaches, um, to, to come up with ideas that, you know, might work in this moment. And by, by allowing for that freedom and shining a spotlight on the great work that our coaches are doing, but also shining a spotlight on um, the failures, the, the things we've tried that, that backfired and learning, like, we probably shouldn't do that one again um, and sharing those things openly. You know, I think that's how you start to, uh, you start to scale it, but it's, it's a, it's a really difficult challenge as, as I'm sure you can imagine. And it's also why, why we exist is like, nobody's been able to do this to this point. And I would say if I had to break it down to one thing of what's allowed us to be so successful to this point, it's, it's being just, you know, so disciplined about hiring based upon those five values. To where, you know, if we, if we talk to someone that we really like and they have four of those five, but, but we, we really don't feel the fifth one, it's not, a, it's not a fit for us. And, you know, I think, and then it, 
it's just, it's become a virtuous cycle by getting the right people. Right. So if, if you kind of, you know, reflect on those last four years, you know, and you said like, yeah, you know, you, you, you call it yourself, you know, you, you, you see yourself as successful, you know, what, what would be kind of, you know, the successes that you would highlight throughout these four years, you know, for you personally kind of throughout this journey, right? I mean, personally for you as, as well, you know, you said like, if this, if this goes for a year and fails, you know, I'll be like, I'll be ahead of the game, you know, but like, yeah. now it's been four years. Tell me, t- tell me about like, you know, what are you, what are your big wins? What, what are your kind of like, you know, major, major takeaways, wins, successes? Yeah. I think the biggest one is just reflecting on, on the team that we've built, you know, and, and just thinking back to four years ago and setting those values and having a vision for what, what it could become. And, you know, part of that was looking at all of the best parts of sort of our industry and our field and, and coaches and all of the worst parts. And how could we really, um, you know, like bring out the best parts and, and stay away from the worst parts and, and building in, you know, in that spirit. And I, I think one thing that came out of it, I always had this belief that we would build the, the best team in the world. And, and I truly believe we have, when you look at the size of our team, the depth in terms of the, the depth of knowledge and experience, but also the diversity of that knowledge. And, and that was a big piece was like, we're not just going to bring in people who are of a single mind, um, which is very foreign, especially in, in the, in the fitness industry, because you, you sort of have these like camps where it's like, you know, there's people subscribe to a certain philosophy. And if you don't believe that it's like blasphemy. And so you have these, these wars and and we kind of did the opposite. We're like, we want to, the more different you are from what we have currently, the more we want to bring you in because you add a way of thinking and knowledge that we don't currently have. And I, I think that's why, again, the values were so important of like, yes. And in particular, yes. And is just being open to other ways of doing things, other people's ideas. Um, and it's not like I have to agree with this thing or change how I do things, but it's simply, it's just being open, being able to like have the conversation, be thoughtful, learn from one another. Um, and when we do that, you know, I think we stand to learn, you know, that much more, especially from someone, the more different they are from us. And so creating that environment where, you know, internally, we're just making each other better. And everybody's very open to share and and willing to give um, to help others. And what that's resulted in is, I believe, the best coaching community in the world. Like when you talk to every single one of our coaches, and you ask them, what is their favorite thing about working at Future? To a T, every single person will tell you, I love the people. Like the, the people that I get to work with, the coaches in particular that I get to work with are absolutely amazing. You know, and just the willingness to, to support one another and the connectedness and all of those things is, is incredible. And so, you know, I think that's, that's the number one thing. You know, and then beyond that, it's been, you know, just taking this leap and sticking with it. You know, there were, there were many times, especially in that first year, my first day by 11 a.m. on my first day, I wanted to quit. I thought, what the fuck have I done? And 
like I can probably still go back and get my job, you know, at, at, at Purdue. Um, but I stuck with it. And that first year was hard. It was lonely. It was, you know, my wife and I every day, like she's crying, I'm crying. We're away from our families. You know, I'm failing at everything in, in my mind, you know, because I only saw that. And, and typically you probably are, you, it's a startup. So you're probably failing at more than you're succeeding and whatever you're succeeding at, you don't necessarily give yourself credit because you're like, well, yeah, I should do that well. Um, and so it was really hard, but by sticking with it to see now what we've built, to see the opportunities that we've created um, for now several hundred coaches, to see the growth of those coaches and what they've built for themselves that would not have been possible otherwise. Um, and then, yeah, like the relationships I've built out of this and, and the skills that have come from it. And similar to everything that I've done along the way, out of this experience, something that I, I never even knew was a thing, venture capital. Um, all of a sudden, I've been able to put myself in position to get into that world. And now I'm a venture partner, along with my, my role at Future, I'm a venture partner with uh, TXV Partners. And so now I'm, you know, kind of dipping my toes into the other side of the table and, and you know, actually writing checks into the, these companies. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty remarkable, man, honestly, just like the, the opportunities that can come from taking that leap into a high growth startup um, and, and really just, you know, pouring yourself into it. Let's talk about intensity. Like, how would you compare the 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 level of intensity of of that kind of like, you know, startup startup life, um, you know, versus uh, what you've been doing before? Also, if it has been increasingly different in the sense of, let's say, the intensity level of of you know, let's assume by default higher. <laughs> that um, how did you? <laughs> How did you manage to how did you manage to adapt that to your uh, to your life relationship health etc yeah you know it took me some time um i was fortunate because the decision making circle that i had who was guiding me in and ultimately pushing me to um make this leap and and join future the thing that they told me even before I started was they said, this will be the hardest job that you ever have. And I remember kind of a few of them talking to them and saying, you know, what, what do you mean? Like I I've been a, I've worked in pro sports. I've worked in college basketball. Like you don't have a day off. Like you work 200 some days straight, you know, and, and you don't have a day off. You, a lot of weeks is 80 plus hours. And how they broke it down for me was they were like, it's not necessarily in terms of the hours that you're going to spend, but it's, if you think about sort of system one and system two brain, if you think, you know, like thinking fast and slow, uh, Amos Tversky, Daniel Kahneman, um, their work, um, system one is things that are just automated. Like, I don't even need to think like when we, when we drive from home to work, or work back home, um, you, you, you don't even remember it. It's just automated because you've been driving for so long. You don't have to think about it. You just sort of do it. Um, coaching is very much the, the, the same way when you're 
you know, programming or you're coaching, like there, there comes a certain point, you don't really need to think to do it at a high level. And, um, and so less and less of what you're doing, at least in the, in the world that I was coming from, uh, is, is truly system two, where you're like switched on, you are using the creative part of your brain and your, your problem solving. And so that was what they told me was like, this is going to be the opposite. You're going to be system two with everything and system one with hardly anything. And the example they gave was like, you're going to be lying awake in the middle of the night, not able to sleep because you're thinking about like these problems you have to solve or these challenges that you have in front of you. And the difference is you can't just roll over and go back to sleep. You have to like literally get up in that moment, get your notebook and like write down those ideas so that you don't lose them. And so that was, when you talk about intensity, that's how they broke it down to me is like, you're always going to be on, like there is no off time. Um, and that was very true for the first year. The other thing that they told me was inside of that first year, um, this will be the hardest year of your life and you're going to probably be miserable most days. So is it, you know, of course a, a big selling point, like, hell yeah, like sign me up for, you know, for that. Um, and I think it does help to, to know that going in, but it doesn't make any of it any easier. It doesn't make those low moments easier. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, there's a level of knowing that, it's part of it. It's normal. And, and that other people have done it and, and that you can get through it. And so that's, that's kind of that mindset and that mindset, you know, I've had, especially from my dad, just I'm stubborn as hell. So like, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna keep showing up. I'm just gonna keep banging down the door until like you let me have this internship or you, you know, have this job or whatever it is. Um, and so, you know, have, having that approach, um, to just show up each day. But the biggest challenge I had was, for instance, going to Purdue and, and building a program there. It was really fucking hard at the beginning because you're laying that foundation is a ton of work. Um, but then over time it gets easier. And that's that transition. It was, it was all system two to start, but then over time it became largely system one and it just ran itself and you know, it was very comfortable and so I think I jumped into the world knowing like, I know nothing about this world. I'm going to probably be terrible and fail at everything. Um, and I was okay with that because I was like, but then over time, it'll get easier. And what's different in this world is it never gets easier. It only ever gets harder because as you have success, you just, you constantly level up and your opportunity, both individually in your role, but also collectively as a company just gets even greater. Um, and so with that, your problems, just as you saw, it's like whack-a-mole. Like I've just solved 10 problems and now 30 new ones come, not like one or two, like exponentially more problems. And, and so that took me a year to finally realize that. And so, you know, it's, it was realizing it's never going to get easier but learning how to myself get met, better at managing it. And you mentioned intensity. And for me, it was learning how to have a switch, learning that there's going to be times. And honestly, for me, that first year, that whole first year, my switch had to be on for work, like literally for an entire year. And so family and life, like 
suffers. It, it takes the sacrifice, but you got to figure out how then to flip that switch off for work, flip that switch on, you know, for life. Um, and then over time I started to learn how to do that within a week or, you know, there's seasons you got to sprint, but then there's times where you can't be halfway and kind of working and kind of, you know, there with your family, you got to be 100% and, and be present. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that was, that was a big lesson for me. Absolutely agree on that. I think, you know, with, with that half S and shit, you know, you're, you're not getting far, you know, that's like, you, you're not doing, you're not doing good for either sides. Um, yeah. Let's talk about your uh, personal health, uh, you know, uh, about that. I already mentioned a little bit, you know, the ha hashtag uh, daily deposit that you got going, you know, um, I, I already mentioned that, you know, playing the long game, I, I always see it as that, you know, like being, being fit, you know, loving sports is about kind of the long game, right? You don't want to have that. You don't want that to be a phase in your life, you know, when you were like young and fresh and stuff, but you want to, you know, I want to be doing push-ups or like, you know, bench pressing when I'm like 50 or 60 years old, right? So, but that's hard because there's all sorts of circumstances in life, right? There's family, there's, yeah. you know, life in general, work, I don't know, all sorts of things. And that's why it makes so hard there's um, injuries, there's, you know, sickness, diseases, whatever, there's all these different things. So how do you make sure, how do you personally make sure that you keep showing up, to keep showing up, you know, all, no matter the, you know, consequences, no matter the setup? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think for me, really, it, it, it started by, um, my my world getting flipped upside down and and like that that sprint that we talked about to where you know joining future everyone told me one year this thing fails and and for me it was like that's not an option you know i've picked up my whole life and and my wife and you know moved across the country it's not an option for this thing to fail and so um you know really that first year and a half nearly two years um, all I did was, you know, work and that's it. And especially the, you know, the first probably three to six months was literally, you know, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, all I was doing was working. And, um, so within that, I got away from what had been my lifelong habits of, you know, I, I pretty much always worked out five to seven days a week more or less my whole life from the time I was a little kid. Um, and so now for the first time, I wasn't, I wasn't doing that. And, and that built up to, you know, ended up being a couple of years and, and uh, I, I kind of rationalized, you know, I was like, ah, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't care that I'm not, you know, and, and really that was just like a, a, a defense me mechanism, you know, for, I didn't want to face, how much I was struggling in something that was normally always like my, my strength and my passion. Um, and so, you know, I think for a long time, the, the thought of how far I had fallen and thinking about, I used to be this strong. I used to be able to do this. I used to be in shape. I used to, um, that was daunting to me. And then finally one day I was like, you know, that doesn't matter. Like I, I just have to start. It's like flossing your teeth. Like 
the best way to get a habit of flossing your teeth is don't floss all your teeth, just floss one. Because also the second you floss one tooth, like now you're already there. There's this element of like, well, fuck it. I'm, I already got it out. You know, like I might as well do the rest. Like it's, it's, it's almost, it's harder to floss one tooth than to just go ahead and do all of them. Like you're just, you're going to. And so um, I applied that mindset to my health because I, because also I knew it was, it, it was impacting my performance. It was impacting my ability to, to be effective as a leader and a teammate and, and a husband and, you know, um, just clarity of decision-making and, and energy and being someone that other people want to be around. And so I was like, I'm not going to get it all back in one day, but let me just start today. Like, let me, you know, and, and for me, it was like flossing one tooth. Um, what is the thing that for me is, is so easy that I can, that I can't not do it. Um, and so it was just like, let me go, you know, do something for 15 minutes and that's it. And then for, for me personally, um, it was, and then I'm going to do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And the reason I did that is it eliminated the rationalization and the excuse of, well, I can just do it tomorrow. Cause, cause I can't, because this one has to happen today because I'm also working out tomorrow and then the next day. And then, you know, along the way, it's just, I think like listening to your body and, and, and uh, you know, if, if it's, if it's a day that you, you don't feel great, like don't try to be a hero and do an hour long workout, do it, you know, do something for 10 minutes that fit again, where, where you're at, you know, and, um, and then if it's a day you feel pretty good and this is what I'll do, then, then I'll, I'll do a little bit more and I'll push more. Um, but I think when you, when you start with that anchor, uh, it starts to become a bit of a virtuous cycle because now you're, you're more conscious about what you're eating because you worked out, you know, or you're about to work out. So now you start to eat a little bit better because you're working out because you're eating better. Um, you know, you're able to manage your stress more effectively. Like you have, probably less available cortisol, things like that, because you're managing your stress more effectively. You're probably able to fall asleep at night a little better. You're able to sleep a little more deeply. And then that next day, you know, you have, you have more energy. And so it just, it becomes this, this uh, virtuous cycle in that way. Yeah. So are you training? Are you like full body workout guy? What are you doing? Like got me, you know, got me a little bit through that are you like uh, how do you yeah. diversify between you know um cardio weightlifting what, what's what's your what's your favorite things um i do i do a mix of everything um so i i'll run i'll run intervals um a lot and and i'll kind of mix it up of um running intervals and then and then other other days lifting weights when i lift weights um, I always think about it in terms of movements. Um, so I'm typically, you know, I'm doing a combination of things that are, uh, you know, like lower body, think like squatting patterns, things like that. Um, and then pressing and pulling upper body. So you, you know, you're getting a bit of a balance there. Um, it depends on my environment. Um, so I try to, I try to take steps to remove any excuses I might have. So, you know, if I'm, 
if I'm traveling and I know that I won't necessarily have access to a gym, um, I'll probably pack some, some bands, some resistance bands that I can use. If I truly am not going to um, have any equipment, then, you know, I'll, I might do uh, more body weight type stuff, but a lot of days for me, cause I'd rather do, you know, with, with weights. Um, so if, if that's the case, I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll do a run. Um, quite honestly for me, just because it, it helps me, um, I'll, I'll repeat a lot of stuff, you know, and, and in that way, it sort of like offloads the, the thinking for me. Um, I do, I, you know, I also have my, my future coach. Um, so he's literally, checking in with me, you know, every single day, um, sending me messages and, you know, stuff like that. And, and, uh, and, and following me, following up with me, um, after, and then I kind of have my staples, like another one of my, um, sort of rituals is every Wednesday and every Sunday I run 10 Hills, no matter where in the world I am, or, you know, no matter, uh, if it's cold out, if it's hot, if it's snowing, if it's raining, doesn't matter. I run 10 hills. I find a hill. If there's not a hill, I find a treadmill and I, I've figured out a way to, you know, manufacture the, the, the same effect on a treadmill. And I haven't missed a day with that in, it'll be five years, I think two weeks from now. Um, I haven't missed a single Wednesday or a Sunday. And for me, it's kind of a mindset thing because it's, it's something that's really hard. It's something that I don't want to do. In fact, like the first rep every time I'm like, man, this sucks. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do nine more reps, but you just have to do it. Um, and you know, also the element of like, if it's, if it's, you know, I've run outside is 10 below 10 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. Um, and it's just like layer up, you know, throw a little mask on a hat and get it done. I've done it when it's a hundred degrees and, I think that just helps reinforce my mindset and my approach to any challenge I might face in my life or my career. There's that reinforcement of like, it doesn't matter what it is, I'll find a way. Um, and also of just like showing up, you know, it's like the ability to show up and knowing that like, especially on those days when it's a hundred degrees or it's minus 10, I'm the only one out there. And I, I think there's, there's, there's a power to that of knowing like I'm, I'm doing something that no one else is doing. And, and I think it gives me a confidence to approach, you know, the other things uh, that I'm trying to build in, in my life. Would you say that you are enjoying to like putting yourself out of your comfort zone? And would you say that this is kind of a superpower? Like, is that something that one can, is that something we can teach? Like, or is, or is that kind of like, you know, or is that literally a superpower of, of, of someone, you know, to, to be enjoying, to putting yeah. yourself outside of your comfort zone. Best example, like, okay. So one example you mentioned is like, okay, doing this, you know, running a hill, like running up, mm -hmm. uh, running up and down a hill. Right. Other thing is what, what I was thinking about is like, you know, this, this, um, this cold exposure, right. Like, which is like really kind of like a mind thing, right. Like, It, yeah. it does not matter. You can be like doing 100 days straight of cold showers, like literally 100 days. It sucks still every shit. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But do you, do you believe that can be taught or is that like, is that a superpower? I think it can be cultivated. 
Um, and then, you know, I think it, it, it becomes a superpower, but um, I believe it's, it's, it's the language uh, that, that we use. It's, it's the language we hear from others and it's the language we use with ourselves. And, you know, I think the, uh, to me, the, the best work on it is, is um, looking at uh, fixed and growth mindsets, which uh, Carol Dweck um, has, you know, done some great work, great book on all of that. Um, and, you know, I think even just the language that we use with someone else, um, we can, we can speak and encourage people in a way that drives them to be more fixed minded or versus drives them to be more, you know, open-minded. Um, interestingly, something that you see a lot of times where, say like child prodigies, maybe they're a math whiz or a great athlete at an early age. One of the things that can happen is if we're using the wrong language with, you know, and so this is happening in, in childhood, um, you know, you, you start to identify with this thing that you're really good at. And so you don't want to put yourself out there and take risks that might expose you that you're not, you're not so good. And so you become very, you know, fixed minded. And so even the, the language that we use to encourage taking risks and to um, support, you know, when you tried something, but it, it, it failed, you know, and so uh, maybe like it's, it's math and you're trying to solve a new problem and you can't figure it out um, using the language with that person to say, Oh man, this is this is great because this is this is something new that can make you even better once you figure this out. And, and understanding the power of yet, like I don't I don't know how to do this yet. Um, and the other side of it too, like with someone who just everything's coming easy to them, or it, or it seems that way. Um, kind of using the language of like, oh man, I'm you know I'm I'm sorry that we haven't found anything that's challenged you yet. Like let's let's find something that gives you a challenge, you know? And so um, I think we become a product of that language that's used with us early on, you know, whether it be our parents, our friends um, and our teachers along the way, but at a certain point you have to take ownership of that. And so, you know, it might've been instilled in you to be fixed minded. I think it starts even just having the awareness of what is a fixed mindset and what is a growth mindset. If you just start there and then reflect and truly think about how do you think about things? And so being fixed minded is like, ah, I'm just not good at math. It's like, well, no, like you can control that, you know? Um, and so, and so having that awareness um, and then it, you know, I think it starts to become the, the language that you use for yourself, but um, do, <laughs> do I enjoy it? Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, maybe I'm a glutton for, for punishment because honestly, every, every single time I put myself out there and it's thing that, that I'm failing at, I, I like stress over it. I'm like, man, I like, I'm, you know, I, 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 like it is, it's really uncomfortable even doing, doing things like this. I, I get super, super nervous and I don't want to do it. And it, and it's really uncomfortable, but I think I've just, you know, I've, I've, I've trained myself to realize that um, that's a sign that I'm growing. 
that's a sign that I'm, that I'm getting better. And if you, you know, if you don't put yourself out there to do those things where, you know, you are failing and you are uncomfortable, um, it's really hard to go and achieve great things, uh, you know, without doing that. And then I think inside of it is, you know, and this is really hard, but realizing that, you know, not everyone's thoughts and opinions about you can matter. And I, I think that's a big one. When you put yourself out there, there's a lot of pride and ego and you, and you think like everybody's watching you and everyone's, you know, it just, it's why our greatest fear is, is public speaking. Like, like someone that has to give a eulogy at, at a funeral, like when you poll people, they would rather be in the, in the casket than give that eulogy. You know, like it's, it's absolutely wild. Like we're so, we're so protective and we're so scared about what people think. And, and what you start to realize is um, people aren't thinking about you the way that you think about you. They're thinking about themselves. Um, and, and also, again, everyone's thoughts and opinions about you can't matter. So falling back into, you know, who, who are the most important people in your life? Cause those are the people that really are, are probably going to be there with you no matter what and, and supporting you along the way. And so I think for me, I, I'm fortunate in that with, with my wife, with my parents, with my closest friends, I could fall flat on my face. I, you know, just do the most embarrassing thing ever. And they still love me and they still there for me. And, you know, so you realize it's like, I think that gives you the power to, to put yourself out there. Oh, absolutely. You know, last question, last question for today. Um, I, I actually, you know, was thinking, am I ending it on this now? Because this was, you know, quite beautiful, but, you know, I still wanted to get that one on that one in because, you know, obviously uh, you already mentioned, right. There's an abundance of things, you know, and, and, and when it comes to like, uh, health and wellness, right, we're going more and more towards kind of like promises from companies towards personalized health, et cetera. Are you a person that mm -hmm. is like really utilizing a lot of these, you know, tools, gadgets, et cetera. Like, are you a variable person? Are you like tracking things? Are you taking in supplements? You know, are you trying these different things? Are you, you know, playing around with them? Or is there like also something that you kind of work into your routine? You know, right now, it, a, a lot less than than I was when I was with the Bulls and when I was at Purdue. Um, you know, I think when I was each of those places, uh, naturally, I just had a lot more access to a lot of these technologies because um, we were using. I was using them with our players, so I would always sneak in to you know use with with myself. Um, and so, you know, I've probably, I've gotten away from that. Like I have, I do have my, my Apple watch. Um, and that, that's what I use, you know, every single day, all my future workouts and I'm getting, you know, my heart rate data and, and things like that. And, um, I think for me, just having been the person responsible for managing all of that for a lot of other people, like my entire career, um, I don't want to think about that stuff for, for myself. And, um, and, and so I just, I think I focus more on just the big rocks. Like I, you know, I'm less concerned with the, the precision of, of my workouts uh, so much as I am just getting out and moving, you know, get out and, and go sprint, go lift weights, you know, try to try to eat a little bit better um, things like that. But you know, finding that balance, because I, I think on the other side of it, um, 
it can become a, 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 a bad obsession if you're not careful. Like you, you know, Sweet for thing. instance, uh, with, with your sleep, if you're always looking at, well, my sleep score was such and such today, then you start to stress about it and have anxiety, even with, even with our players, like a lot, a lot of the data that we would have, I would have data going into a game where I'm like, this dude is not recovered at all. And like the, the data, the numbers is telling you that they're not going to perform well. When they asked me, like, what does the data say? Or, you know, we'd, we'd have guys do um, different vertical jumps before a game to look at like their readiness. And they're like, Josh, what, what was my score? And I'd, I'd give them a, a number that was way higher than their actual number. Um, because if you start to internalize that, you start to go, well, well, my sleep score is low then you start to like almost speak that into existence of like, well, I, I'm, I'm really not prepared to, you know, per, per, perform today. So for me, I, I, I try to manage the big rocks, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's important at time. Like, you know, you want to be more specialized at, at different points, but I, I think, you know, it, it probably, finding a balance there of it, you know, it's kind of like getting on the scale. Like you don't necessarily need to get on the scale every single day. Um, yeah. But maybe at certain periods of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Good, good point, Josh. It's, it's, it's been, um, it's been really interesting, you know, thanks. Thanks a lot for, thanks a lot for being on the show. It was great having you here. Uh, hope you're coming back one time. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate you having me on and would love to run it back for round two. <laughs>